Nice to be here. Uh, missing church Wednesday and Friday is kind of like, man, feels like I've been gone forever. So, it's a, you know, it's a blessing. David said I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And uh, So, I admit there are some Sunday mornings when I think, man, this would be a great day to just stay in my pajamas and curl up with a book and a cup of coffee, but um, I'm always glad to be here. I was telling somebody once, uh, they were kind of hem-hawing about whether or not they would go to church the next day. And I told them, well, I've, I've gone to church, I've not gone to church and wished I had. Like I've missed it for whatever reason and wished I'd been there. Uh, I've never gone to church and thought, well, that was a waste of time. I wish I would have stayed home. So, um, so it's a blessing to get to fellowship with the saints and, uh, um, and uh, hear what God has to say. So, Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, God, we just we praise you this morning. God, uh, you're so worthy, and we appreciate everything that you've done for us. God, you have laid out such a a perfect plan for us, God. Um, and God, we just appreciate how you've covered every base. God, we praise you. God, that that uh, it's your power that brings us through. God, that it's your righteousness that uh, that rescues us. It's your your blood that covers us and cleanses us, God. And we glorify you for all that you have done, God. And we just we want to give back to you, God, uh, and, and in some measure of what you've given to us, God. That you gave us everything, God. And, uh, the least we could do is give you everything in return. And God, we just pray that you would um, just do that in us. Do that in your people, God. And draw us to you. God, I just I pray this morning that you would plant this word inside of us, that you'd prosper it, that you'd bring us, bring us uh, ears of faith and, and hearts of understanding, God, to, to receive your word this morning. And you would bring it forth exactly like you want to bring it forth this morning, God. Just um, uh, God, if, you, if, if not speaking through me, God, speak in spite of me, God, and, and bring forth your word exactly as you would have it to be. God, we pray it and ask it in your righteous name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to um, my notes here. Luke chapter 14. Just the other day, Ron was talking about how he'd been reading this G. Campbell Morgan sermon. And Rachel was saying how she'd been reading this G. Campbell Morgan sermon. And I thought, I have those. Those are awesome. I should read some of those. And uh, I, I read two yesterday, actually, that um, really kind of went together in a really interesting way. Um, so... Um, in Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus is talking uh, to these, uh, it says to the multitudes. So, uh, one of the things that, that you see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is constantly uh, gathering a crowd. 
not necessarily because he's attempting to gather a crowd, but because they just have they gather wherever he is. And uh, and this this passage we're getting ready to read, uh, starting in verse 25, is a really great example of how uh, these people are drawn to Jesus. Never never anyone in history like Jesus, and they're they're drawn to him, and yet when he he come, they come to him. He, it's as if he's sifting them. It's like he's bringing, he brings this this word to them that's pretty stringent and and, and severe even. Um, and it's a, so it's, it's a really interesting thing to see. So here in verse twenty five, he says, um, and he was just talking about the great banquet, of course, just talking about the the. Um, uh, the marriage supper and, and uh, bringing in the, the people from the hedges and the byways and all that. And he says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So that's a fairly stark thing to say to a bunch of people that are uh, wanting to follow you. But of course Jesus wants people that are following him for the right reasons. And, and he of course will take everybody. He takes us as we are but he doesn't leave us that way. And his expectation isn't that we're just going to stay that way when he, when he rescues us. But um, the older I have gotten, the more I have recognized the, um, the value of quality over quantity. You, know, you can buy a bunch of stuff really cheap at the dollar store, but it's going to be junk. Uh, or you can, you know, you could spend uh, thirty dollars on shoes five times a year, or you could spend one hundred and fifty dollars on shoes once a year, and uh, and you're going to have a better experience with $150 shoes, I can tell you. So, so uh, quality is is an important thing over quantity. And of course, as I, I can't stress enough that God wants to rescue everyone. And He, he the Bible says that it's His will that none should perish; that all should come to repentance and have everlasting life. But He's He's kind of winnowing through the crowd here, kind of like kind of like uh, when Gideon gathered his army. And there was over thirty thousand people there, and and uh, God winnows it down to about three hundred people. So, um, uh, so, so he, and he uses a rather strong word here, you know, because he says, "If any man hate not his family uh, and his own life, then he can't be my disciple." Uh, so that's a stark way of of saying that uh, if you're going to follow me, I have to come first. And so that's a tough thing. Uh, that can be a really difficult thing in life because um, uh, it, when you, if you have a really good life at home, um, and uh, you know you, you're, you and your family have you know a great time together and stuff, it's it can be tough to tear yourself away to to go do the things that God would have you do or, or to. Um, you know, to prioritize time alone with him and that kind of thing. 
Uh, and that's and that's what he's talking about here is is having that sense of of preeminence, like that, that I should be at the preeminent place in your life um, to the point that it's almost as if you hated your family because you put me uh, above them. And uh, you know, and the great thing about that is is that that he said that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So everything that we need. Um, uh, will fall into line uh, when we put him first. And then he says, Whosoever uh, does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, of course, when he's saying this, he's not yet been crucified, but uh, they they live in this nation that's been uh, subjugated and occupied by the Roman army. And uh, so they're, they're quite familiar with what he means by a cross. And... Uh, um, it was not something that's necessarily even unique in history that they did that. It's been around for a long time. Um, but he says uh, that um, I want you to bear your cross. Because we don't bear his cross because it was his cross. And so, of course, we all come to these places in our life of things that we wouldn't give up, that we wouldn't, we would rather not God pick out as something that he wants us to put aside or to give to him. Um, and it's funny how irrational we can be in our emotional man. Um, uh, because I know that uh, God says that if you give something to me, you'll keep it. You'll, you'll, you'll get it back. Um, and if you try to hang on to it, then you'll lose it. And so the things of value you give to him. It's like it's like putting your stuff in a safe. And uh and yet when it comes down to it, something that you really uh, are anxious about keeping, it's really hard to just give it to him. To just let just trust him to just take care of it. Um, because it feels like it's not as safe. It's like, well, what if, what if God lets something happen to it? It's like, at least if I'm hanging on to it, I know that it's, it's going to be okay, right? Um, and so, so that's what happens to us is this kind of irrational thing where we understand uh, with our intellect what God is saying. If you want to hang on to it, give it to me, and I will keep it safe for you. It's like, you know, if you have little kids... Uh, especially uh, the moms, they're always like carrying stuff that the kids are always handing them. It's like you know, if mom goes to clean out her purse and there's like little toys and and like gum wrappers and and sticks and everything else in there, because they have little kids that are like, mom, mom, can you hold this for me. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I always got money at Christmas everywhere I went. And my dad would always hang on to it. He always wore those like funny like overall things and he would always like stuff them in the little chest pocket and hang on to my money until we got home and uh, so uh, so putting those things that we want to keep in God's care is the best place to put them um, by far but he said but he's talking here about bearing our own cross then so they're, they're, God knows how to bring us to a place of here's the thing that I would like you to surrender on to me that feels like the last thing ever you would want to do. And 
feels like something that you couldn't do. And I'm going to circle back around to that here in a minute. But um, I don't know about you, but my palms start sweating whenever God starts talking about finding that thing in your life that, that would be that, that Isaac moment uh, in your life. It makes me nervous. Um, but God doesn't talk about that to make us nervous or fill us with dread, and He doesn't bring us to that moment because He's, he's, he's mean and He wants to take away your favorite thing. Um, God knows he, he he's got he knows he's got to be in that that first place that preeminent place um, and that if you you know give to him the thing that matters to you the most uh, then you can trust him with it and there's something in God proving to us that he can that we can trust him that there's nothing there's no substitute for that and and he does that he builds that in our lives a, ton, a bit of the time it doesn't happen all at once he doesn't immediately take Abraham and tell him, all right, now give me Isaac. So, you know, the great thing is, as I said, he goes up there with Isaac and he comes back down with Isaac. And, and so, so that's what God does. Uh, but Jesus goes on here in verse 28. He says, For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after that he's laid that foundation, he's not able to finish it, and then all that behold him begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consults whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So this is why we're talking about God looking at quality versus quantity because um, one way you could take this passage here is that uh, God is telling you, count the cost. You count the cost of serving me. You count the cost of following me, um, and uh, uh, and figure out if that's uh, you know, and just have that understanding. That's, this is what you're you're signing up for. Um, but uh, another way you could take this is um, not to go over there with me, but I'm going to read you one verse in Matthew 16. Kind of uh, for a little perspective here, um, when uh, Jesus asked the disciples, "Who do men say that I am?" and they're they're talking about it and everything, and uh, uh, just for brevity's sake here, I'll just read verse 18. Of course, you know uh, Peter has told him that he's the Christ, and Jesus says, "And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." So. Um, um, so here Jesus is talking about building his church. He's he's talking about this this you know you know, if somebody was to build a tower, then they would um, they would count the cost and figure out if they can finish it. And then he talks about um, the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, not prevailing against this revelation of who God is and. Um, but he calls it the gates, you know. And the, of course, you don't take your gates out with you to war; they stay where they are. 
So, so it's like he's talking about, I'm building an army to go and, and storm the gates of the enemy here. So, um, so it's like he's, uh, the, the sermon that G. Campbell Morgan preached on this was called The, Cer- the Terms of Discipleship. And, and so he's, kind of, he's laying those out, like this is what I'm after. This is what I'm doing, is I'm building a church, I'm building an army, and I need people that, um, that can um, bear the cross, come after me, and, and be my disciples. Um, so, um, so it's, a, it's it almost seems like he's um, looking for the Marines here, you know, the few, the proud, you know. Um, um, I watched this movie that starts out with um, um, some stuff about like how the Navy SEALs train and, and how difficult it is to get through it, and how these guys that are amazingly tough already can't get through this thing and, and so the guys that do are like the very very best of the very very best and it, so it seems like that's what God is, is saying that's what I'm looking for here um, and so if you're anything like me you read that and you think oh okay well maybe he's got some desk job I could do then <laughs> because I don't know that I could really I'm not really the scaling ladder type um, I don't know about that um, so go looking over to Matthew 12. Um, and so just to, to put this particular chapter here in, and what I'm getting ready to read in here in context, you know, of course Matthew arranged the stories. Uh, he grouped them um, according to subject matter. Um, to some degree, um, to, to give us messages, and uh, you know, in my Bible, it's it's uh, it's a really good uh, heading. It just says Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath day because he's dealing with these issues about the Sabbath um, and how the the, the Pharisees uh, fought him on it. Um, but what I want to read here is in verse nine. It says, "And when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue." And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? So, in a weird backhanded sort of way, uh, the, the Pharisees are complimenting Jesus and telling him, I know who you are. I know what you're about. Because they immediately linked him with the guy in the synagogue that had the most desperate need. And... Uh, so, uh, they, because they knew that Jesus wouldn't just leave it be. Uh, and he said, well, what man shall there be of you that shall not have one sheep? And if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. You know, and I, I, every time I read these, these things about them fighting with him about the Sabbath, I can't help but wonder, what is it they think that he would be so bad about healing somebody on the Sabbath? How does that work? You know, it's not as if it, as if a man can just do that. It's clearly the Spirit of God. And, uh, um, and of course, they come to that conclusion, but they don't really, they just kind of sweep it aside because they, they want to hang on to their, their kingdom and their, their place and their power. Um, 
but you know, uh, the thing about, I think we can all identify with this guy with the withered hand. Uh, anybody who's really honest with themselves, that wants to serve God, understands that, well, I don't know. It's like I looked at the at the uh, the terms of discipleship. I looked at the the requirements of, of what he had for me. I mean, he told me he was going to give me heaven, and uh, because I, I realized that I, I I just no matter how good I had it together, it wasn't going to be enough, and that um, that his his expectation was that I be perfect just as he was perfect. Uh, I don't don't see myself reaching that sort of pinnacle. I think I already blew that before I got got in the race in the first place. I didn't even know that was the expectation and I'd already messed it up. And so when God talks to us about something that He, he wants to do in our life or something that He wants to bring us to, something that He wants us to do, we get this sense of... Hmm, I mean, how many of you have um, had a, a moment where you know, you're in church, for example, and and God is talking about grabbing on to something and standing on it, and uh, like make you know let's let's make this decision now because if not now when and why not? Um, but you hesitate because you think well, uh, but I, I but then I would have to follow through on that right. So years ago. Um, when Mike and I first started our business and we had no idea what we were doing, <coughs> there were some good things and some bad things about that. The great thing about not knowing how to do something is it really forces you to trust God. And the bad thing about knowing what you're doing is that it actually can erode your sense of just trusting God to take care of you. So there's definitely a balance that we learn there in life. But we had no idea what we were doing. And we had an opportunity to bid this really, really great project um, that was, you know, looking back, was way, way over our head. Um, we, we probably couldn't have even handled it. But um, we, we'd asked God for it. We went over there and we walked around this place and claimed it in the name of Jesus and just prayed over that thing. And I was excited. I was like, man, this is going to happen. And this is going to be such a blessing. This is going to turn everything around. And um, just walking along, praying, and it felt like God told me, "Promise me something, and make me a promise." And you know, and you know, everybody's voice sounds the same in your head. God's voice, your own thoughts, the devil—they all sound alike. And it's like, well, so I'm I'm sorting through this, you know, like, well, well, the word of God says, don't make promises, because you can't turn one hair white or black. So. That seems like that wouldn't be God. But I couldn't shake this feeling that it was. And um, and so I'm wrestling with it. I'm thinking, you know, we're in like this desperate place. We need something to do. We need some work bad. And um, this isn't going to be ready right away, but it would um, go a long way to making me feel better to have something of this size on the books. And... Uh, and so I'm wrestling because I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about Mike's family. And I'm like, man, it's like, what if, what if, 
this is God and He's telling me making the promise and I don't do it because I missed it and then and then I, I hang us all out to dry and miss this amazing opportunity because I screwed it up. And so I'm wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and I can't shake the sense that God is telling me, well, promise me something. And so I'm, I, I just couldn't shake it. So I began to think, well... What, okay, if I'm going to make him a promise, it has to be something that I could follow through on, that I know that I could do. And so uh, I was thinking I could, I could increase the percentage of tithes that I pay. I could. I'm, I'm kind of just spitballing about just these like really lame, mundane things. God doesn't need your money. You know, obviously expects you to pay your tithes, and if you're not giving, he'll dry up your finances like turning off a faucet. But. Um, I'm just thinking, okay, what, what am I supposed to do here? You know, I'm trying to think of something legitimate that I could do. And um, eventually, um, I, I just could not come to a real conclusion. I, I called Ron and asked him what he thought about it. Told him what happened. I walked him through this thing, you know, like you do. It's like going to the doctor and telling him what, what happened to you. And... And he's like, well, that makes sense that God would say something to you like that. Because he knows how you're going to react. He knows what your response is going to be. And he knew that the first thing you would do was go back to his word and look at how seriously he takes making promises. And so you're like, well, I can't just make him a promise if I'm not going to make good on it. That's why he tells me don't. And he said that God made you promises. He told you he was going to take care of you. He told you that you guys were going to be fine. Um, and, and, and his word is filled with those promises of him getting you successfully to the end of the, of the, up to the finish line. So you need not worry. That's, that's why God wasn't telling you, I want you to promise me something and I'm going to give you this, this project. He's, telling, he's reminding you, I'm going to take care of you and, and that, that you're going to be fine. And we didn't get that project, which was God taking care of us, because it would have been a disaster. Um, the more you know. So, looking back now, it's like I think that there's no way we could have possibly handled a project like that. But so, when we're honest with ourselves, we all understand that limitation that we have of well, I wouldn't want to let God down by, by um, not doing what he wanted me to do. Um, and I just, but I feel this inability in me. And, and, and uh, I, I'm not so much at Matthew 5.48. I'm kind of back here at like verse 4 or whatever it is when he says that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like I'm, I'm just kind of hanging on right there when I think about how well could I really do what God is asking me to do, and that's what he. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, it's he starts out with this great comforting wooing thing, and it's totally nothing that he says after that um, is meant to take away from it or to cancel it out. But then he goes kind of through this winnowing thing again, because as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that yes, we have. We have this unmerited favor, this grace and forgiveness and the, the, the power of God that comes to live inside of us. But God's expectation is actually more stringent in the New Testament than in the Old. Because he, it's not about outside things anymore. It's about what's in your heart. It's what's in your mind. And uh, you know, the, 
the great thing about that is it's like having a policeman on board with you all the time. Um, you know, there was um, all kinds of things that I did when I was a child that I would not have done had if my dad was standing right there. Uh, so um, it's, it's great to have that presence of God inside of us, but also that understanding that He is actually watching, and and He knows what I think, He knows what I feel, and there really is a sense of wow, that's way more stringent than just you know a smile and don't let anybody let on with anybody that uh, you know, that you'd like to you know tear their throat out or something. You know, don't, don't smile at them, and uh, you know it doesn't do any good to smile at them and wish you could hit them, because God knows that you wish you could hit them. So, um, so we have this man with a withered hand, then, and uh, the one thing that he could not do is stretch forth the withered hand. I mean, it just says it's withered. I don't know if he had like. You know, arthritis. He had like some sort of like palsy. If he'd had a stroke, I have no idea. It just says that his hand was withered, and I kind of just imagine like this, like curled up. I mean, I've seen some people with some pretty withered hands at the old folks' home, and um, and it hurts just to look at them, you know, and and to think about having your hand curled up into this like useless lump, and um. And so, um, so he says uh, in verse 13, And then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. So he tells him to do the one thing that he couldn't do. And it, it's just like the cross. It's like the one thing that you couldn't do. The one thing you couldn't give up. Uh, or the one thing you couldn't give to him is the thing that he picks out. And so... This this man had to realize, okay, so he's not mocking me, he's not picking on me to uh, point out my my infirmity to everybody. Um, and he could have not. He could have just told Jesus, "Well, I, I can't. It doesn't work." Are you kidding me? But he uh, he took hold of what Jesus said, and and he. His will was to do what Jesus said. Because God will tell us, this is what I want you to do. And we look at it, and we look at ourselves, and we look at the withered hand, and we're thinking, okay, no. I, I, I don't have, I can't do that. And what he's looking for is for us to have a will to do his will. A will to obey him. And, and so... He's looking for us to uh, to be like the like the man that his uh, son was uh, bound by the unclean spirit, and he said, "I believe, help my unbelief." It's like God, I, it's like I'm, I'm telling you, yes, but I just I don't I don't trust myself to be able to do it. Uh, I don't know how many times I, I've I've stood in this place and come to one of those like. Moments where God's saying, "Hey, let's grab onto this and hold on to it, and and um, and make our stand here uh, against the enemy and 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 all of his lies and stuff." And I would I would stand back there with my with my base and be like, "Yes, God, I really want to do that. I just I I just I know Tuesday morning is coming, you know, and and by Tuesday I'm not going to feel so." 
um, excited. I'm not going to feel that sense of faith that I feel right now that this is all going to work out. And, and, and God just brought me to this understanding of just like this man with the withered hands. Like, well, I didn't, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm telling you, you, you agree to it. You agree to obey me. You agree to, to step out in faith and do what I'm, what I'm saying. Something as simple as God, I'm just going to believe you on this thing, and and I'm going to I'm not going to keep turning it over and over and trying to figure it out and gnawing my guts about it at three in the morning. I'm I'm just going to give this thing to you, and when we do that, then just like this guy with the withered hand, it says, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. So he he did the thing that he couldn't do because his will was to do it because Jesus told him to do it and so his his obedience then um, was empowered by the word of God it was empowered by the power of God telling him I told you to do this so this is going to work out great that's the great thing about having a boss is you can throw them under the bus if you if you make a mistake or something doesn't work out. It's like, well, you know, that's what the boss told me to do. You know, my bad. You know, um, and so we when we look to this, say, like, well, this is what Jesus told me to do, and uh, and we need not worry about it all falling apart and us looking silly because because. Uh, God is he, he wants to be seen in your life as able. He wants to be seen as the power that, that brings you through, that brings you victory, that overcomes the stuff in your life. And how else are, are people going to see it unless they see you stretch forth the withered hand when God tells you to? And so I just thought it was really interesting how these these two messages just sort of went together to me. Just this sense of because this this first message had all this you know this you know God is he's looking for a few good men and um uh the panty waste need not apply and and so I'm thinking oh dear it's like I I'm putting myself in the pansy crowd and and then he uh but then he turns around and talks about okay so if you're honest enough with yourself to realize your own inability then look to me. Look to me for the ability. All I need you to do is, is be willing. And then my power can overcome all of your disability, all of your inability, all of your, your, your fears and doubts and, um, and all that stuff. And, and I know how to make you into what I want you to be and get you where I want you to go doing what I want you to do. I just need you to be willing to, uh, to work alongside me. In the stuff, so uh, so I was just really blessed at how God He puts these things together, where we just we realize, wow, I really need Him. You know, the, the more you know, you would think that the the older you got, the more together you would have it, but honestly, the more you realize. I really need him. It's, it's like being a teenager and, and you know that that rather pernicious period of your life where you know everything and your parents know nothing. 
looks like they've somehow gotten you know Alzheimer's in their 40s, and um, and then you get to be about like mid 20s, late 20s or so, and you realize, wow, my parents actually knew what they were talking about, and uh, that was quite the revelation to me, and uh, um, so. But you know, the thing that you learn as you get older is trusting God instead of trusting yourself. And uh, and that's a great place to be, but the, the, the further you go along, the more you realize your dependence on Him. And the more you realize that, um, wow, I came to Him with a withered hand and He asked me to do this, and I did it. And so... So just like he did that to me then, when when I come down to that place of taking up my cross and following him, denying myself, when he when he brings me to that Isaac moment of this is the thing that I'm telling you to, to give over to me, then it's just going to be just like that time that I stretched out the withered hand and, and he did what only he could do. And uh, so being able to... Trust God is a really great thing. And so God loves to bring us to these dramatic sort of moments where we have to make a, a real decision that really affects real life. Am I going to trust God or am I going to hit, go to the chicken exit? I remember going to Worlds of Fun when I was a kid and they had the chicken exits at the um, roller coasters. And man, if you went out that thing, I never did, but if you went out that thing, Man, the the the, uh, the person that controlled the ride, they would call you out in front of everybody and make a huge deal that you're a chicken, bah, bah, bah. you know. And no one likes to be called a chicken, so um, uh, you know, yeah. Okay, Jesus, we just thank you for all that you've done. That we thank you for this magnificent plan that you have put in place, God, to. Uh, overcome all of our uh, all of our foolish fears and inhibitions and doubts and, and inabilities, God, with your spirit and with your power. That you've come to live inside of us, that to overcome these very things. And God, we want to be those people who will to do your will. God bring us to that understanding that we can make that decision. God, and that in obedience to you, God, the follow-through from the power of your Spirit comes in. And God, we just pray that you would just cause this Word to, to grow and bear fruit in us. God, as only you can do, we want to be those people. God, that you could show yourself strong in. God, that the world might see us, or see you, through your kindness to us through Jesus Christ. And God, I just pray today that you would do in this place what only you can do. God, we want to worship You, reach out and take hold of Your presence. God, we want to fill every vessel with the the rain of Your presence. God, we just pray that uh, You would be preeminent and glorified in this place this morning. God, that we would uh, come to You with open hearts, filled with expectation. God, that You would speak to us and that You would minister to us. God, do it as only You can. And get your work done in your people. Bring um, your the power of your word to bear on our lives. God, we pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.